we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our emergency freedom alerts for January 8th, 2024. Next report is entitled Witness the Kandahar Giant was fed by my grandmother, who was also a witch using sigil black magic. Again, another lighthearted topic to start everything off with. Plus comments about this and my teachings on this subject of the Kandahar Giant, because I've done actually several. So this is a pretty good little clip here and very, very interesting uh, little report here regarding this. I th This just kind of came out recently. So quite a while ago, I met with L.A. Marzulli, and he started telling me about uh, this Kandahar giant. And, and what <laughs> I know about the Kandahar giant is, is very little. It's just what uh, L.A. Marzulli told me. And, and he interviewed some of the soldiers that was involved in in this kandahar giant story and and so uh, i i don't know anything more than just what he told me and it was quite a while ago but i but i did a video here recently and uh, i mentioned the kandahar giant because you know i i some people have said they've seen some of these giants that are alive so i got an email from ray rahim here saying that he had some connections with the Kandahar giant with his dad and his grandmother and some stories like that. So with that said, Ray, tell me um, your your family's uh, history and involvement or, or what you know about this Kandahar oh. giant because I don't know that. I forgot to also mention too, I've done so many teachings on giants and the Nephilim and you can do any kind of keyword search derivation of those subjects and you're going to have hours of listening pleasure i mean <laughs> days probably so at contendingfortruth.com but it sounds like you know a little bit more uh of the backstory people know the front story but they don't really know the backstory so tell me what you know and how you came to know this now the, regarding the kanhar giant again I, i'm going to give you the three studies i've done on this below so uh, if you're listening to this and you have no clue what they're talking about, I've, I've done three different studies you can listen to as well as this, which will give you more context. And I, I post those studies. Or if you just want to key in Kandahar, the word Kandahar, which is C, or I'm sorry, K-A-N-D-A-H-A-R, you will find those at contendingfortruth.com as opposed to having to access the PDF that I'm posting. Okay. Um, well... Let me start by saying that my family uh, hails from Kandahar, Afghanistan, and my father was born in, I believe, 1936, 1937, and he was born to uh, my grandmother, who was a practicing witch, you know, and she was pretty embedded in the, you know, dark arts and black magic, as I understand it. Anyhow, um, when my father was coming of age, you know, as he was growing up, he witnessed my grandmother doing some weird things, um, you know, ritualistically speaking. And uh, that led him to, you know, eventually over the course of his life, realize that my family is actually for some generations has been involved with. I don't know if you would consider it catering to or uh, consorting with. Um, these beings or entities uh, that we all know as these giants. And um, yeah, yeah, so that, that, that's pretty much uh, what I've come to know from, you know, my father when he was alive. And my father's been, he, he died back in 2013 in March. So he's 
he's been dead for about 10 years now. So, so you, uh, you was telling me or, or that, uh, you know, your dad seen a footprint and, and he told you about this, but he really never told you about the Kandahar giants or anything like that. Just, just that he told you about the footprint he's seen. And then later on, um, he, t- he, you, you'd seen a story about the Kandahar giants and then you asked him about that. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, um, I was 18 years old. Um, I had just graduated high school and this was in 2005. Um, I'm currently 36. I'll be 37 next month or I'm sorry, in January, I'll be 37. And, um, when I was 18, uh, let me, let me just to digress for a moment. I was put in foster care for 10 years. So right after high school, I decided to go live with my biological parents again. And, you know, so, as so, I was living so, with so, so let me back you up here real quick, okay? Sure. So your family, when when the Russians came into Afghanistan, your your parents fled the fled the country, and you was born in a refugee G camp. But then you ultimately ended up, and you know, tell me that. <clears throat> yeah. So what happened was um, the Russian invasion happened in the eighties, and I was born in eighty seven, and. Uh, Right before I was born, um, my family fled from Afghanistan. I guess this would have been in 85 or 86. They fled from Afghanistan where the fighting was starting to take place um, to uh, Pakistan, to Karachi. And I was born in a refugee camp on January 23rd, 1987 in Karachi. And then my family used that as a jump off point to come to America because my, I believe my mother's side of the family hailed from Karachi. And um, that that's pretty much uh, how my family came to America, is uh, because the Russian invasion and my father was a tailor master. He made clothes and traveled from country to country. He wasn't exactly a fighter. I mean, he was a Pelwan, you know, like what they know as strong men over there. You know, he could do feats of strength, but he was no soldier. He was a militia. <laughs> that was my yeah. uncle's. Um, yeah. So, so, so you, 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 you end up in the United States, you, you, you end up living in a foster home. Yeah. Um, um, so I was in foster care from the age of eight. Uh, I was placed in, um, in Berks County, Pennsylvania. That's, you know, the Reading area. I was placed in a foster home with a pastor and his wife in Warminster, Pennsylvania. And I resided there with that pastor and wife, um, in Warminster, Pennsylvania for 10 years. And when I was 18 years old, um, at the time I decided that it was time for me to go reconnect with my real family. So I went to go live with my real parents, my biological, uh, parents who are now very elderly, uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania. And this was in the summer of 2005. Um, so as I was getting to be reacquainted with my family and my culture and distant relatives and friends of the family, I started to slowly gather that um, my family history was anything but normal. And I wouldn't have known this because I was, I, you know, I was away since I was a very small child. So uh, this was all kind of a culture shock. And I thought some of it was like some hoo-ha, some superstition, old wives tales, you know, what have you. But um, later I would find out some things um, that, kind of, you know, I was able to connect all the dots from like what my family and friends of family had told me and realized that, you know, perhaps my family was involved in something pretty serious, uh, pretty dark and possibly very, uh, 
I don't know, like mystical or whatever, but um, it, it was certainly starting to get my attention. And it certainly really fascinated me when I guess it would have been in 2010, 11 or 12, something like that. I was on YouTube and I saw this story that someone had about the Kandahar giant. I'm like, OK, well, I'm from Kandahar. What is this? You know, it sounds like something my father told me. <laughs> so back in 2005, when I graduated from high school and started living with my family, some of these stories I was hearing were about all of the black magic that happened in Afghanistan, all of like the superstitious, spooky stuff that happened during the uh, Afghan-Russian war. And then my dad told me that he, you know, when I asked him like, hey, have you seen like any really crazy things when you were like off being young and dumb in the mountains of Afghanistan? He's like, in fact, a few times, yeah. And my mother warned me to stay away from like these, these caves. Uh, not just because they're inhospitable to humans, you know, because you go in there, you can die or slip or something, but because of what lived in them. And she never elaborated until one day after like a heavy rain, you know, he was out camping in the mountains, you know, just being a hooligan because that's what my dad was. And um, he basically came across this footprint that he claimed was as long as he was tall. And he didn't know what the heck it was. And, He's he's, it, he's it, telling it, you he's telling you this and he's saying it is it's a it's a human looking footprint he's saying he he said he said it looked like his footprint because it was muddy out and you know he didn't you know I mean he had like shoes uh, you know yeah. like those sandal sandal type things you know but um he he said like it was pretty uncanny the shape the contours of everything it was it was a human foot and he just looked and he was just dumbfounded like you know is this a prank did someone you know is, is someone messing with me? I mean, what is this? And it wasn't just one. It was like, and they were like wide apart, you know, like it was like he saw another one like 10 feet away. He's like, what the hell is this? You know? So he asked his mother about it. And she's like, remember when I told you to stay out of those caves? And he was like, oh, and, uh, you know, he didn't go in those caves. I'll tell you what. So, so, uh, when, when he told me that in 2005 and, then five to seven years later, you know, I, I forget what it was. It was easily over 10 years ago now. But when, when I was on YouTube, just, you know, going down these weird conspiracy type rabbit holes and disclaimer to everyone, I've always been that guy. People have always accused me of being that guy. So if I sound nuts, it's nothing new. I've heard it all. <laughs> but um, it, it really kind of fascinated me when I heard this on YouTube. So then I went and asked my father about it. And he said, well, yeah, like it just so happens that when I was young, my mother, I used to go with her and she used to tie one of our goats or sheep or whatever they had available to a post right outside of this one specific like cave or cabin entrance, like by their village. And he didn't really know what it was, but, you know, l later, you know, you know, he, he, he was like, well, I never told you this because you never asked. But yeah, I, I, you know, that footprint that I saw and she told me to stay out of the cave and all that. Yeah, there was something living in there. She's like, I don't know what she knew what, but, you know, she, she said it was something that um, has been around a very, very long time. And if we don't want it to come and get us, we just have to give it these offerings. And there were people apparently that there was like cults that formed behind 
the worship of these things or this thing, right. you know. And apparently, this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. These types of entities requiring, and, and again, it can get into just a purely spiritual thing. I mean, you, you look at like people that would sacrifice their cho firstborn child or whatever to bail, you know, in all of the religious religions that built their their whole belief system around doing such things sacrificing children sacrificing animals this isn't anything new this is just more of a isolated area now i don't know if this is the same kandahar giant that our special forces guys dealt with or there's probably more than one in those mountainous regions but uh pretty compelling story it was this i i would assume this giant you know and my dad said yeah yeah like that and i told him the story that i had heard on youtube and you know my dad is a hooligan he's a little bit of a dark guy and i remember the story he heard on youtube reference my teachings on it again you can just king kandahar or go to the pdf for this for this teaching for uh January 8th, 2024, and you'll see all the links in the PDF to access my teachings. I would start at the oldest one I did, and which I think is the last one I listed. I'm going to go over those next and um, listen to them in the oldest to newest order. And he just started laughing, and he's like, thank God my mom told me to stay out of those caves. <clears throat> so so you know, you, you, you're, his mom, your grandmother, was a yeah. practicing which voodoo yeah. magic type thing yeah. Um, yeah. i imagine she wasn't the only one there was probably others so yeah. so yeah. um there was a story um that i heard and i don't know how true it is that that, that there was an elderly woman or a, some of the townspeople would come up and bring food to this this giant yeah. um yeah do you hear anything about that from your dad i mean you're saying that your grandmother used to take a goat up there is she yeah this woman that used to take food to this or is she part of a group that used to take food or or do you speculate that or you really don't know her it's also reminiscent of like you know the mafia you would think like during you know whenever the mafia was big in new york city and, and those areas that were controlled by the mafia and you, and you got to pay them extortion money every month if you want their quote protection and if you don't there's going to be consequences this is very very similar I mean, I, I have thought about it, certainly, you know, just from all of the other digging around I've done, talking to other, you know, people, you know, not related to my family, but, you know, they're from the same area as my family and their parents knew my parents. So it's like the kids knew each other, you know, and we've talked and they're like, yeah, like, you know, practicing black magic and consorting with jinns, you know, like these genies or these spirits, mm -hmm. you know, these uh, these beings made from fire. You know, as their Quran talks about, um, they're, they're apparently real, and a lot of people know how to get in touch with them. And some of them straddle the line between the supernatural and the physical world, and they can appear to you whenever they feel like. And you know, much later, I would realize, okay, Bigfoot might be the same kind of being. You know, it's like one second they're there, one second they're not. I mean, eight hundred thousand pound gorilla person, how do you miss them? You know, that's it's kind of weird, right? So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
So you're saying the jinn is kind of like these giants? I, I well, my father told me that his mother would go up there, tie an animal to you know a rock or you know um, the nearest tree or whatever near where this thing was, and you know they'd hear this you know they'd be going down the mountain and all of a sudden they'd hear like this screaming and stuff of the animal behind them and they knew that the thing was accepted you know um and she said that yeah as long as you keep on basically like using i guess sigil magic because she had a sigil tattooed on her forehead in arabic and it was like some type of like spell i guess to protect her i don't know if it was from those things okay so now because that was mentioned i want to go ahead and uh i have done one teaching on sigil magic and it's emergency freedom alerts i was just uh two couple well not even two years ago uh 926 of 22 part one and the first part i talk about ascended master jesus which we talked about earlier which is kind of part of the whole coming deception and the extraterrestrial factor uh second coming this is they're gonna really try to use that whole second coming of jesus and they're gonna have a false version most likely and um so we talk about that now the the second thing we talk about is listener comment sigils and spell casting lessons at a local community garden center (laughs) this was i think in the uk and then from a witch what are sigils and then another one satan's devices spells and sigils now a lot of these again are like tattoos and they're very very powerful and very wicked the the magic and mastery of the thai sacred sacred tattoos by occultist joe cummings he did this at a ted talk okay and then the last part which heavily relates to this is my teaching on tattoos body modification and piercing parts one through four and i give you all the links to those so let's go i just wanted to go ahead and mention that before uh, he goes any further because he mentioned the sigil magic. These are other things or whatnot, um, but she believed that these things were not fully physical and that they were like these, uh, I don't want to say like demons, but they were just these other forms of, you know, creations that lived on a different spectrum of reality or a different dimension, something like that. Yeah. So you said something interesting. You said, uh, a, a fire, a black fire. You said what? What did you call say? Yeah, uh, jinns. Um, they're they're spirit beings, and they're made from fire. And I know there's something. There's a video you had made about the black fire nephilim or the yeah, some, yes. something I'm like that. Yeah, I'm just thinking Salvador. That Del made Gavillo, me think as well. At, yeah. at night, he's seen these shadowy these guys yeah. that it's yeah. dark, but it's like they have these black fire things. You right. know. Yes. Was, yes. Like that, that's fire, another thing. Black. You know, so is that that's a very that real thing. This, is that the same kind of a thing then? Huh? Yes. So, yes. So that that they, is a that is a thing in Afghanistan. Is these shadow beings that? Yeah, that's exactly what those black fire nephilim. I guarantee you, they're the same thing. Um, right. And they're they're like a well known thing in Afghanistan. In fact, really? they terrorize people during the day sometimes. They do it in Africa sometimes. There's like a whole village that had to sleep together on the floor in Africa. Because someone in the in the village was doing like black magic, they actually found like animal bones and like I don't know how they determined it was semen, but they found semen and they found like blood and they found it like I don't know if it was in a jar or a container or something, but they found it and they realized that whoever was doing that in the village, 
it was causing this like golem spirit to come and terrorize people so much that they all had to sleep together at night. Right. (laughs) Scary stuff. Yeah. So, 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 you know, your, your grandmother was, was into the dark magic. You say, you know, was any of her, was this passed down from her? mother or grandmother or was there several yes. generations and and i guess what i'm getting at was was yeah. these giants were was your family maybe leaving offerings or taking goats up you know for yep. many generations yep yep I, I believe that's exactly what happened because my dad uh told me that he asked his mother like well you know that that's like that's kind of foul and weird like why why are you doing that and he he wasn't really like yeah, I guess I guess he was kind of, you know, my, my grandmother was, you know, a black magic witch. So I don't think he wanted to piss her off, but he didn't really exactly want to help her out with it. But um, pretty much he had asked her, like, hey, how long has this been going on? And she's like, well, my grandmother is the one who taught me and her grandmother taught her. And it was like so they've been feeding this giant for generations or giants. I don't know. I don't know if they had offspring or how that all worked so and again we've talked about the solomon island giants just key that in solomon island i mean it's just a matter of i mean it's delaying the time for god that's literally the name of the solomon islands that's their that's their nickname the land that time for god and if you go there and you talk to anybody that's being honest any of the local people they're going to tell you yeah i mean this is all of these things a a lot of the people that live there have seen them personally i think the sightings have become less and less as as they've gotten more people but you go to these jungle villages in the solomon and then again that guy marius borlands who was probably killed because he wrote that book solomon island mysteries which you can't they've sanitized it you can't even find or buy a copy you know it's just a matter of fact part of life there's all kind of places in the world that you go and papua new guinea and a lot of these island chains and that are very very they typically tend to be very isolated and the giants are are have been part of their culture for hundreds if not thousands of years and this is another place on the planet where this is the case it's only a thing with the women for some reason i don't know why you know, hmm. and I, I evidently the women are the ones that are the women witches, the black ones that are doing the sigil magic are the ones commissioned to go offer these animal sacrifices to the giants. Uh, how that all works, I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's the way it evidently has to be in this particular culture. I know that my grandmother's father was the village exorcist you know so i believe his mother was the one that taught her you know yeah okay so you was also telling me that that uh, your father told you that there was more than one yeah yeah apparently uh you know she wasn't the only one doing this you know, there were, I don't know, I, I'm assuming there were just like different people around different areas and these things, they moved through the caves and there had to be more than one if, you know, more than one person was like doing that, you know, 
but I don't think it was too many. I, I wouldn't assume that because if, if enough people got wind of that, I'm sure, you know, they march up there with pitchforks and staffs themselves, you know? So it was like kind of a well-kept secret for the most part. You know, it's like, if you went up there and found out you, you know, you, you messed around and found out. Yeah. You messed around and found I, out. I doubt they're going to go up there with pitchforks. And they, 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 when it, when whole seal teams were wiped out, which had, you know, pretty advanced weapons and these things move so fast and they're so disgustingly brutal in the way they fight. And they're so huge. There's no way somebody with pitchforks and a village, they would, they would wipe out a whole village, no problem. One of these things, you know... And again, if you've heard about the Kandahar Giant, and there's a whole book you can buy at Steve Quayle's website, I believe on that. And it even shows a picture of it when they got it on the pallet, when the when the um, guys were flying it back. I mean, they, it, it uh, well, it's a depiction of the picture that the that the multiple multiple firsthand accounts of guys in the military that saw this thing, how bad it stunk, what it looked like. It weighed about, I think, about two thousand pounds. It would barely fit on a on one of these big time pallets when they had it like curled up into a fetal position. Um, what they ha had to do to kill it, I mean, and again, who knows how many times this has played out throughout time, throughout history. That's what happened. So, yeah. So, so you don't do you know how often they would take a goat up there? I mean, was it? once a week every other day every day and and how did they come up with all these goats did they have a goat herd specifically just to feed these things and and was there a community thing that helped them uh get these goats to appease these giants or do you know of any yeah. of that I, I don't any of that's asked yeah yeah I, I did ask my dad about that because i mean i was just like you know I, I was just super curious at this point and i was like well you know, you guys weren't exactly rich. How'd you afford to feed them? He's like, we didn't feed them. We only like gave them enough so that they didn't want to come at. We just wanted to make nice and we wanted to keep making nice, like kind of like, you know, right. the local mob boss, you know, right. you got to hit them off with a little bit of your profits if you don't want them to come around and rough you up, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, it was kind of like that. Yeah. And that's the vibe I got from it. You know, and my dad said, yeah, like apparently this was not a thing you wanted to like upset yeah they weren't buddies with it they were they were in absolute fear and terror and they were just doing this to appease them so, so um, do you think the the townspeople did know about it or didn't know about it and they was help pitching in and they gave it to the local witch her job to take care of it or i would argue that the people who dabbled in black magic knew about it and the other ones speculated you know and if they really wanted to go find out they probably just didn't come back yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That that would be my guess. I mean, if like like I said, you know, something like that, it's See, the 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 witch that actually took the goat up there, not only was she commissioned to do that, but she knew what I mean, I think that sigil that she had tattooed on her forehead was a like a protective witchcraft type amulet and I do believe that it had to be done in 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 this manner in order for the sacrifice to be received in order for it to be on the up and up she had a certain amount of protection the giant 
knew that this witch was the one that was commissioned to do this. He probably left her alone. She probably had a certain level of witchcraft protection. She was fulfilling her end of the bargain. I think it had to, that was the whole process there. I mean, the giant, or if there was more than one giant, a pretty good thing going there. I mean, you know, he's got to sit back and he gets a goat or whatever every so often for doing nothing, you know. So he's not going to really want to bite the hand that's feeding him, (laughs) literally. I mean, it doesn't say stay a secret for long if suddenly you find out there's like a 10 12 foot cannibalistic person living in a cave you know <laughs> that's scary you know you have dudes in you know i've watched documentaries i've never been locked up myself thank god uh but i've watched documentaries of you know people in prison who go after the big tough scary and intimidating prisoner just because they're scared of him not because he's like trying to do anything to that person you know sometimes fear preemptively makes people go to violence you know and i can't imagine if you found out there was a monster living in a cave up the hill you wouldn't do something about it kind of like beauty and the beast you know everyone's kill the beast you know i seriously doubt there that dynamic was at play here because like i said these things are so terrifying uh even the the seal team guys i mean is is bad to the bone as those guys are I, I mean they were absolutely in terror 100 percent. and i've heard numerous accounts that yeah you can take them out with many headshots you don't want to be using a 223 round you want to be using something higher caliber but a 50 caliber headshot with a full copper bullet copper bolt not jacketed copper steve quails talked about that before and um a, you can get them that's the best way to do it from a physical standpoint a copper bullet they something about copper that if you fight them that it's from a physical carnal standpoint now i don't that's not the way i'm going to pursue any of this it's not the way i've pursued it in the past when i went to engage these things i am going to purely do it from a spiritual standpoint and that way, there's no way that I could ever get glory or get the glory. Oh, I went up and I shot something in one of these things in the head and took it out. Listen, I got no problem with that. More power to you. I mean, just kill as many of these things as you can. But I want to see the Lord Jesus Christ get the glory. And there's no glory in that for God if somebody is going up there and taking it. I have no problem with it. I mean, I think it's good, but it's not the way I know I'm going to be engaging these things. It's not the way I've ever engaged them in the past when I've went. And again, in my supernatural experiences at ContendingForTruth.com, it's a little bit about me dealing with stuff. Now, granted, not I've never dealt with a giant, but then again, that 20-foot winged reptilian, royal reptilian in Northport who had multiple eyewitness accounts of seeing it, and I saw his own foot, his own hoof print, the guy cast out of plaster. Um, you know, that was that was something that was on, you know, the news, and, and many people were had seen it fly around and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so, um, so when you found out about the Kandahar Giant, you... You know, your family, you still have relatives in Kandahar. You had relatives. Yep. I imagine you was really, really interested 
Um, did you research that, study that at all? Did you, you know, what, what did you research? What did you think? Did you reach out to any, anybody, any other relatives about this? Did it pique your interest? Was you interested? It did. It did. Um, I asked my uncle about it and I, I, I want to say he's still alive. I mean, I haven't seen him in years. Uh, he lives in Pakistan. I asked him about it and he said he didn't know anything about it. I asked my sisters before. Again, they think I'm a conspiracy person. I mean, the only one that I really spoke to about it was my father. And I spoke to uh, one of the other Afghan people in the community, but he didn't substantiate anything about giants. He, in fact, told me everything else that apparently his father saw in the uh, Afghan-Russian war, you know, regarding demons and spirits and angels and just he, he has some stories. You know, what did they tell you he's seen? Well, um, he basically was like a, uh, like the Afghani, like, I don't want to say wannabe version because he was it, you know, he did like do what he had to do to, you know, do his part. But, you know, he said that he basically saw some very unexplainable things, you know, um, they captured some guys, you know, some Russian guys before and, you know, these Russian guys were screaming like, hey, wait a minute. I thought there was like 20,000 of you down here on the ground. What is this? You know, he was like a helicopter pilot or something, you know, and his his craft like ran out of gas or something. They didn't they didn't like end up being the reason he like was on the ground, but they did like capture him and they held him and they were interrogating him. And he's like, yo, when we were up in the sky, we saw there's like 20,000 of you down here. And they're like, no, our God's that strong. 300 of us look like 20,000 to you. You know, stuff like that. You know, it's like apparently, you know, they had like angels with them, you know, protecting them. And, you know, that's they believe that's how they won that war uh-huh. was through all of these supernatural means. Um, you know, these Russian shells, some of them are like this big coming from these helicopters, you know, um, and they would be halfway embedded in the, the homes in Afghanistan and they would use them as coat hooks on the inside. Huh. And it was just a very common thing. And, you know, you have like geckos and stuff running up the walls, you know, just chilling on the tips of these bullets. <laughs> They'd end up in your clothes. You know, they, they they said that sometimes these shells, for no reason, they'd be sitting there eating. These shells would just get pulled out and start levitating on the other side of the house and then just drop. Huh. Weird stuff. Really, it had something to do with the witchcraft protection they were obtaining through their witchcraft, which was very powerful. The sigil magic, generational type of witchcraft like this, is powerful, and it can provide protect, especially if you're going against another ungodly, unsaved adversary. In that particular regard, whoever has the stronger magic is is the stronger black magic is probably going to be the victor and 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 they can appropriate uh things like this they can appropriate protection from the dark side like he's describing but it's not good angels it's it's fallen if if anything weird stuff um they said the stuff about the shadow people you know when there was a lot of fighting and there was an area where a lot of these like uh I, I guess you would call them jihadis. You know, they believed they were fighting a holy war and they died doing it. They would haunt that little section of land. Sure. 
that was like their cemetery, their graveyard. They, they're they're not haunting it though. The demons, the disembodied devils and demons, are haunting that land because of the the blood that was spilled there. Uh, that's what's going on there. It's not they're haunting it. They they could it could pose as them haunting it, but they're they're in hell, unfortunately. I mean, because these are these are really godless people. They're they're not Christians. Okay, so that's a whole other thing with the whole paranormal oh it was dear whatever aunt margaret or uncle roy and there's haunting these no no it is appointed unto man wants to die and after this a judgment and, and you go to heaven or hell but the familiar spirits that can mimic those people they can appear that way they can appear as though as though they were those same jihadis they can it's it's like a mimic mimicry type of thing and an imposter an impersonation and there's such an unsettled spirit that anyone who goes over there is going to get assaulted really bad by them in fact i saw that there was a story on a netflix show called haunted where there was an afghan there was there was an american soldier stationed at a certain place in afghanistan right and that like little watchtower that he was stationed at he apparently started getting harassed by like a spirit, by one of these jinns or demons. Yeah. You know, these these beings made from fire. Mm -hmm. And it followed him all the way to the US and all the way back when he did a second tour of duty. Right. Yeah. It, it's just all, all kinds of stuff like that. It's like based on what my cousin tells me. And then I see something like that on Netflix. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. This stuff has to be real. These people can't be just taking me for a ride, you know? Now, I would be very surprised that that guy that, had that happen to him if he didn't have some personal effect that he had taken from there from that location that was like a cursed object now i've seen this dynamic play out in a lot of different ways i've seen people that go to like ghost towns in like haunted ghost towns and they take they pick up like a broken bottle they could pick up a stone or something and you know their life falls apart just because they pick up something from that cursed ground they bring it back their life falls apart and like there are certain towns i know that where they're they'll tell you like ghost towns are like don't take anything from the town don't take any souvenirs because if you do we can't we we're we can't tell you what's going to happen it's one thing to visit them it's a whole other thing when you start taking stuff uh, this has happened when people go to Hawaii as well. Even bringing back like the sand from certain places, their lives fall apart. They're, it's like they're bringing back cursed ground, and they will literally send the um, like the sand or the 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 artifact they brought back, the rock or or maybe it's I don't know who knows a broken bottle or whatever. They'll send it back to the location with like you know. Please put this back, and then that will release these things. Now, I would, you know, I would handle it different. Um, but I, I, I under, I understand that concept, though. I understand that concept of, of having a cursed object. And um, in fact, a video I'll be playing. I don't know if I'll get to it today, but it's, it's about be careful what you accept from people when they give you gifts. It's that concept. Um, and I'd be really surprised if this guy that went to the United States and this thing followed him there, if there wasn't something that he had brought with him that gave that double that right to pursue him. 
usually that would be the case because he didn't really elaborate a whole lot more but usually that would be the case so you gotta be super careful about that kind of stuff okay so the, it goes on for about another 16 minutes and but that's more the pertinent part that i wanted you to hear about um the the kandahar giant okay so um i posted all the, my teachings relating to this subject the one on the sigils is here uh, in the pdf and um for the state and then the other ones are on the kandahar giant and uh the last one I did was 321 of 22 and now remember this is this is just part of the table of contents um, so it's not like a dedicated teaching but it's part of it Kandahar giant cover-up debate did the military kill a real giant in the Afghanistan cave so I'll give you the link to that one and then you have to go all the way back to 2016 so um, six years earlier I, I, I evidently for the last time I had talked about it and there's just a section on there we talk a lot about the Nephilim and um, Nephilim footprints and then the Kandahar Giants so there's that one from 2016 and then the last one is the first time I talked about it which was evidently only a couple weeks before that and that was ET Disclosure Agenda Exposed now that's probably one of my mega teachings part 4 and um the can the giant of kandahar afghanistan and then we also talked about two giant men spotted near the giza pyramids and then the extensively documented conquistadors encounters with giants because the conquistadors encounter giants multiple multiple times and it's it's a matter of historical fact we've talked a lot about that as well so um now from the interview of above that we just listened to there are some comments i, I wanted to repost one of them is a guy named Grand Optimist, and uh, he says, I am from Afghanistan. I can say that there are many such stories of giants in Afghanistan. This gentleman's story sounds very authentic. And, yeah, to, to me, the, the guy really came off as credible. Like, he wasn't some <laughs> sensationalistic type of person wanting to build his brand. He just came off as very matter-of-fact, like a nice dude that was just relaying the story. I mean, I... I pray for their souls that their souls get saved. I truly do. They're, neither of those guys that were Christians, I don't. I don't think so. There, I, there wasn't a lot of evidence of that. But um, they need to get saved. Um, but just a really good interview overall. Another person commented and um, <clears throat> said, "I was in Iraq, 2004, 2005. Got to know one of our interpreters as a friend. Meaning, I believe he was there with the military." He was an Iraqi Christian, originally from the Dehuk, northern Iraq. I asked him if he had ever seen giant bones or strange things. He told me a long time ago they found a giant skull, Cyclops, one eye type. And that is a type of giant with one eye. Meaning he found the skull, but instead of there being two eye orbits, there was one in the center of the head. And that is a, that is a type of giant. This is all before I heard of the Kandahar thing. Another comment read, I served in Afghanistan as a Marine as well as private security contractor. A guy I knew who was from Af the Afghan, who was an Afghan as a security contractor from 2001 to 2003 said that there was talk of a special force team coming across a giant man they had killed. <clears throat> in the early years of the Afghan war, it was like the Wild West. Contractors would trade Jack Daniels for grenades and rockets. Um, 
because all they had was 7.62 or 5.56 weapons for personal security details. 7.62 is, is a higher caliber than 5.56, but nothing of a super, super high caliber, okay? And um, <clears throat> so they wanted to get something more uh, substantial. So I guess they were trying to get grenades and rockets. I don't understand why we weren't supplying them with that, but anyway. Anyway, the, all they had was 7.62 or 5.56 weapons for personal security details, moving individuals from point A to point B. You had to drive like 100 plus miles per hour everywhere you went because everyone was in a soft-skinned vehicle back then. Absolute chaos and very dangerous, meaning they had to drive at breakneck speeds on these security transportation details because they were in soft-skinned vehicles. They, they weren't armored. They weren't armored Humvees. They were, they were just a regular, and I've heard that about a lot of those Humvees that were over there originally, that they were soft. They they weren't armored, you know. Somebody could fire into them probably with a two two three and pierce pierce the outside or even maybe a small smaller caliber handgun, and you would be vulnerable inside. So they drove like crazy. In other words, to avoid um, if they were shot at, there was less likely they were going to get hit. <clears throat> he goes on to say, interesting that this guy I worked with confirmed there was talk of a giant in those days when I asked him about it. After the L.A. Marzulli interview broke, the dude, this dude is a no-nonsense, no-nonsense individual. He worked in Iraqi and Afghan as a contractor supervisor for over 11 years, um, and this is the same contractor who told him them that a special force team came across a giant that they had killed. So that stuff happens over there. Okay, so let's go a little bit further here, and we're going to totally switch gears. <clears throat> Satanic abortion clinics now operating in the United States. America is worse than Sodom and Gomorrah in some aspects. Satan just showed himself. All right, so this is a kind of a shorter video here. America is becoming worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Cosmopolitan magazine just recently came out, a magazine that's directed towards young women, and they made three posts in relation to abortion encouraging young women to have satanic abortions. Literally satanic abortion ceremonies. And the, the, the title in Cosmopolitan reads, so how does a satanic abortion ceremony, ceremony even work? I mean, this is so wicked, so evil, so next level. And, the, and the, literally the cover of this particular edition, it has Cosmopolitan in all the gay colors. You know, what they associate the rainbow with. Now, the rainbow is not evil, you know, obviously. And God give that, gave that as a promise in the Bible that he would never flood the earth again like he did in Noah's day. That's why he gave us the rainbow. But they they have uh, appropriated the, the um, LGBTQ devil sodomite agenda has appropriated that as their own it doesn't make it so though okay but yeah this is just absolute insanity make it a satanic ceremony this is not a joke we'll look at this as well as some other relations to america being connected to Baal and Baal worship and the biblical warning that god has for america in relation <clears throat> to this cosmopolitan magazine again the largest young women's media brand in the world with 4.2 million followers on Instagram, and you'll see their magazines in the grocery stores in the aisles, 
in the last month made three posts promoting satanic type abortion ceremonies. Yeah. Here three weeks ago, there's a post. It says a satanic abortion clinic may sound like clickbait, but it's really happening in New Mexico. And it might just be the most genius reproduction justice play of our time. When Rovers Wade Ugh. was overturned recently, the satanic church then came out and said that they were going to start performing abortions as satanic. Yeah, there, there, there's a billboard he shows. And it says pregnancy complications are the sixth most common cause of death among women between ages 20 and 34. Whatever. Uh, you know, figures lie and liars figure. I mean, that's, I've never even heard that. But in other words, getting pregnant is going to, you're going to die. In other words. So what's the alternative? Well, kill your baby before it's born. So abortion, and then it says abortions save lives. Well, you know, I don't think that works out too well for the life of the baby, you fork-tongued devils from the pits of hellfire. Sure doesn't say the life of the baby. Our religious abortion ritual adverts many state restrictions. So in other words, if you, you, you want to get around the whole maybe Roe versus Wade thing, if you become part of our satanic temple, and it shows the Baphomet, Goat of Mendez symbol, the upside down pentagram with the temple of satanic whatever around it. <clears throat> if you want to join their club, want to join that religion, evidently their religious abortion rituals averts many states. So you can get an abortion as long as you join our, our, our uh, cult and sacrifice your baby to Satan. Well, yeah, we can, we can get around a lot of that pesky stuff. And it's the satanictemple.com. I mean, it's a Really, really well done professional billboard. I mean, it, this is so wicked and evil, I, I can't even comprehend what I'm looking at. Which is truly what abortion is. It's gone back from the beginning of time as child sacrifice, and we'll look into that here later in the video. Another post by Cosmopolitan Magazine says, Inside Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic. So he was one of the Supreme Court justices, I guess. And it shows a phone, and it's a red phone with a pentagram, upside-down pentagram. And it's a rotary phone, like the old style that you would, you would turn. Um, I mean, th this is so wicked and evil. Inside Samuel Alito's mom's satanic... And everything's in red, like blood and, and, you know, red. It's a real thing providing real medical care. No, it's providing real death care to the baby. And yes, it's managed to... to P.I.S.S. off abortion opponents and reproductive freedom fighters alike. I mean, these people are going to burn so white hot in hellfire, I, I can't even comprehend it. It's a real thing providing real, quote, medical care. The New Mexico telehealth practice prescribes abortion pills up until the 11th week of pregnancy and offers 24-7 phone access to licensed medical personnel its founders just happen to be a Satanist. They are just obsessed with killing as many babies, which they view as a sacrifice to Satan or Artemis or Lilith or Chemosh or Moloch or whatever deity they're sacrificing that baby to. And they believe that's how they gain greater power, greater financial prosperity, the whole nine yards. I mean, you talk about no fear of God. Members of a religious organization called the Satanic Temple. So what a coincidence that someone who works at an abortion clinic just happens to be a Satanist. So now this abortion clinic- I've done whole studies that you can key in uh, abortion, 
how a disproportionate number of people that own the abortion clinics are Satanist. And a lot of them brag about it. And a lot of the staff are also Satanist. I mean, how could you do that job and not have a very, very evil, wicked bent to you? Or at least at bare minimum, have your conscience seared with a hot iron, like the Bible talks about. I mean, a vessel of wrath fitted, prepared ahead of time for God's destruction is kind of what comes to mind for me. The wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. I mean, seriously, how, how could you do that? And just, oh, it's just another job. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, and then take a paycheck from that. You talk about literal blood money. It's fully transferred over to become a satanic abortion ceremony religious center. One good thing at the end of this post, it says that an Indiana district judge dismissed the satanic temple's lawsuit seeking religious exemption from the state's near total abortion ban for lack of jurisdiction. Cosmopolitan was facing some backlash in the comments, but they doubled down and they made another post in relation to this two weeks ago. And this one is more sinister than the others. You can see what they wrote in the description of this post. What it's like to have a satanic abortion. Okay, now, just... I'm going to back this up because he's not even getting into this. So how this is what was in Cosmopolitan's thing. And it's, and it's a piece of broken mirror. And it's all in red like the other ads. It's a piece of broken mirror. It's very, very occultic. And, and I don't know why he's not getting into this. Um, A piece of broken mirror kind of in the shape of a... Mm, like a sideways pyramid which is also and all you can see is the lady looking into the mirror and it will just her one eye basically you see a little bit of her nose and her, her eyebrow and a little bit of her lips but just one eye so it's the one eye illuminati thing all there the all-knowing eye of lucifer the whole type of thing and then on the side of it the text says so how does the satanic abortion ceremony even work patients of all faiths uh, oh they love to have christians in there are welcome at Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic in New Mexico. That is evidently what it is called. Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic in Mexico. I pray God rain down fire and brimstone on that wicked evil and every single wicked evil place like it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray to God if it be possible their souls be saved. The, the people that are perpetuating and doing this, you know. Oh, my word. <clears throat> Along with medical counsel, TST offers free ceremonial support to everyone. So you can turn this into a religious satanic ceremony. That's what you, I think that's what you got to do if you go there. Abortion ceremonies are totally optional. Oh, okay, so you have that as an option. As long as the baby gets killed, that's all that really matters. And customizable. Oh, good. Here is a simple one that TST recommends and then it gets cut off. I mean, oh, this is so sickening. One is more sinister than the others. You can see what they wrote in the description of this post. What it's like to have a satanic abortion. For Jessica, a 37-year-old mother of three who received abortion medication via Samuel Alto's mom's satanic... Alito. It's it's the Supreme Court former... I don't know if he's still... I don't, Samuel Alito, the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, the experience was just very supportive. While she's not a Satanist, Jessica decided to incorporate a few ceremonial elements into her solo abortion experience. Why not, she thought. The overall messaging just clicked with her. So this satanic abortion clinic is sending abortion pills in the mail and telling you along the lines of how to have a satanic ceremony while you take this abortion pill. 
I'm not going to read every detail of this ritual, but they pretty much tell you to go to a mirror, look in it, talk yeah. to yourself about it. Tell I mean, and again, the whole thing with mirrors, highly occultic, um, something that, you know, yeah, just find a quiet space, bring a mirror if you can. Just before taking the medication the, to kill the baby, gaze at your reflection and focus on your your personhood. Well, why don't you focus on the personhood of the baby? No, 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 no. We don't want you to think about that. We don't want you to think about what you're going to do. No. Focus on yourself. You know? Um, focus on, you know, I guess the the inconvenience this would cause you if you actually brought this baby to term and had it as a baby. Because you don't need, need any of that. You don't need the financial burden. You don't need the baby. Focus on yourself. Then it says home in on your intent. Your It's all about me, 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 self, self, self. And that's, again... Really, self is the root of all sin. If you think about it, self. But what's what what I want? And I mean, this is unbelievable. I, I will say the comments below this are pretty awesome. One lady says child sacrifice. Another one says horrific. No words. Another one says every abortion pleases Satan. Thank you. Another one says pure evil. This world needs Jesus so bad. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, then one says, what the actual H-E-L-L -L is this? I mean, yeah, because it's it's so over the top. It's 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 incomprehensible. But, I mean, they're literally promoting this in Cosmopolitan. I, I pray that Wicked magazine <laughs> be annihilated and destroyed as well. Oh. Then another, another post says, glad we can all agree that abortions are satanic. This post is despicable. I really do think, though, that because they've come out so far with their agenda and it's so obvious now, it has caused people that maybe didn't say a whole lot about this before Christians. And I think it's caused them to say, hey, wow, I can actually see now, you know, the agenda is so out in the open. How could you how could it possibly be denied at this point? It's your body. You're subject to your own will alone, which is a satanic teaching tied to Aleister Crowley. It tells you to take the medication and recite Belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's belief. They forget to incorporate the scientific fact that the child within the human body has different DNA, therefore is a different human being. What I found the most disturbing is how they tell you to end off this ritual and it seems like a mockery of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. They tell you to recite in the mirror, by my body, my blood, by my will, it is done. Ooh. That sounds very similar to what Jesus Ooh. said at the Last Supper, so that he was offering up his body and his blood for for the world, and that by his will he was laying his life down. You can see the satanic mockery of Jesus Christ really proving that this is truly evil, satanic. And, and they really never just, mock any other religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, Islam, no, no, Confucius, no. It's all, no. No. The only one they care about mocking is, is Christianity and the Lord Jesus Christ validating what the bible is and that it's the truth right jeremiah 1 5 is god speaking here and he says before i formed you in yes. the womb i knew you before i formed you in the womb i knew you that i mean he's speaking to jeremiah and again this isn't king james but and it says that before you were born i set you apart and appointed you as a prophet unto the nations." He knows our destiny, you know, and I believe this is a reason that Satan is so big on abortion as well is because he wants to every, every baby he aborts, that's a destiny 
forfeited. That is a, whatever God had purposed or planned for that baby, it's over. They're ne they'll never they'll never have a chance to, to live out their destiny. For the, the womb is really, literally, if you look at statistically, is the most dangerous place you can be in, statistically on planet Earth. I've, I've given you, um, now with abortion, this abortion pill, I don't even know. I mean, you've got birth control, which hormonal birth control can act as an abortifactant because it creates an inhospitable environment in the lining of the uterus, which, which will, um, and that's not the only way it can work, but it can... If the fertilized egg does make it to the uterus and they're on birth control, okay, because that can happen, what one of the ways the abortion pill works is the lining of the uterus is not hospitable for the implementation the implantation of a fertilized egg. Therefore, the baby is aborted. That's how all hormonal birth control basically works. You've got that is a way that abortions are occurring, and that's something I've never heard any pastor talk about how birth control is actually potentially abortifactant i mean that's the pill the patch the birth control what you know um there's, there's probably other ways i don't even know about um then you've got the morning after pill which just flat out kills the baby um so you've got according i think it was gutenberg or, or I've, I've cited these statistics before and these are old statistics like a hundred thousand abortions every single day worldwide and we hear about we've heard about for years four thousand per day in america and i don't know of how accurate those are anymore i don't know if it's way higher or whatever okay and i understand roe versus wade but still this is still going on um but 100,000 per day worldwide and that's just on the abortions we know about that's not including the morning after pill as far as I know well that wasn't even that pill wasn't even out when I cited those statistics then that's not taking into account the pill the patch and the other ways that other ways that some birth control are abortifactant or can be abortifactant in nature again key in abortion I've done whole studies on this where the information is I mean I've got it all in the PDFs so only God knows how many abortions are actually in God's eyes, because isn't that what really matters, taking place worldwide on a daily basis. Then you've got you've got all the satanic sacrifices where you've got breeder mothers that are impregnated off the grid. Nobody ever knows about them, and these babies are 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 um born and then they're sacrificed shortly after or like that mothers of darkness castle uh, which i've reported on over in belgium uh, according to different researchers that have researched that i think doc marquis was one of them at one time and others they take a pregnant female every single day who's like nine months pregnant who's ready to give birth and they will sacrifice her and the baby every single day to satan in order to again this is how wickedness continues to perpetuate and grow yeah yeah so then you've got all the occultist abortion you've got the adrenochrome harvesting centers where you know they're doing all that wickedness. I mean, I've done whole studies on that. Adrenochrome, just key that in. 
I mean, honestly, just talking about it, it's just about making me sick. And I can't even imagine God who knows all this, who can see all this, who's nothing's hidden from his eyes. I can't even imagine how he must feel. So, anyway. Born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is how God knows all of us. He knows us before we were even yep. formed in the Amen. womb, before the foundations of the world. That's how much love God has for us. We can see how this is a satanic attack on children and the purity and the gift from God that they are. And okay, so that goes on a little bit further but yeah i wanted to, i wanted to cover that samuel alito yeah um he's uh currently uh is an american jurist who serves as an associate justice of the supreme court of the united states he was nominated for high court by president bush in october 31st oh october 31st halloween nice 2005 highest satanic holiday of the thing and has served on it since january 31st 2006 uh, after Anton Scalia, and that was a whole other thing when that guy died. That, was, oof, that wasn't probably, he was probably also another Satanist. Um, uh, let's see here. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into the other about whatever with his mom or whatever, but um, I mean, wow, I... <laughs> It's it's pretty hard to comprehend. Oh, okay. I, I just looked this up. The Satanic Temple announced that the launch of the telehealth abortion clinic that mocks a Catholic judge, because Catholics are typically pro-life, who serves in the U.S. Supreme Court. This facility is located in New Mexico. It's named the Samuel Alito's Mom Satanic Abortion Clinic. Oh, how clever. How clever. And the reason being, evidently, is in 1950, Samuel Alito's mother did not have options, and look what happened. What? Malcolm Jerry, who is the co-founder of the Satanic Temple, said in a news release on Wednesday, prior to 1973, doctors who performed abortions could lose their license and go to jail, which they should. The clinic's name serves to remind people just how important it is to have the right to control one's body and potential ramifications of losing that right. Evidently, because Samuel Alito was born, I guess, was this thing, this horrible thing that happened, because I guess he went on to be a conservative uh conservative uh supreme court justice i guess i mean what a what sick twisted scum logic that is um oh in june justice alito along with the rest of the supreme court overturned roe versus wade so that's why they've got such an axe to grind in other words if he had never been born samuel alito him being one of the whatever pivotal votes then Roe versus Wade would have never gotten overturned, and so they've got to make a mockery of him uh, and his mom. That is some. Oh, isn't that? I mean, oh, isn't that really hilarious? I mean, on their on their part, aren't they clever? I'll tell you. So this is all a total mockery, and this is really nothing against his mom. Okay, they're just trying to mock him and his mother. I mean, oh wow, that is a. That is some sick, low-blow stuff. So I'm sorry what I said earlier because I, I thought they were in on this and obviously they weren't. This is why it's so important to you know, get get your facts right. That's why I was like, I need to look at this a little bit closer before I, I, I close this video out here. Okay, so um, that's, where, that's, where this all, that's where this all comes from here. 
All right, let's go further here. Um, 76 Christian universities are caught promoting abortion and Planned Parenthood. Yes, the pro-life generation is celebrating 697 Christian colleges and universities across the country who uphold basic Bible principles that life begins at conception by not promoting Planned Parenthood or the abortion industry. Now, there's gobs of other stuff they're doing wrong, okay? <laughs> okay, but yeah, at least they're doing that. I mean, praise God they're doing that. Sadly, 70 other Christian schools have varying degrees of support for abortion or abortion vendors like Planned Parenthood easily found on their websites. Just incomprehensible. This information comes from um, a newly released report, and there's a link to that, by the Demetri Institute for Pro-Life Advancement, which investigated all 767 colleges and universities affiliated with Christian churches in the United States throughout 2023. According to our findings, 76 or 1 in 10, quote, Christian schools maintain some type of relationship with Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. I mean, again, just, it's, it's impossible to even comprehend this level of wickedness. Considering that Planned Parenthood sells the most abortions compared with any other vendor sells is one way of putting it yeah okay compared with any other vendor it is proven to set up shop in college towns with 87 percent of its locations within five miles or less of a college campus because that's where you go a lot of times to get ruined and become promiscuous and you know find yourself i'm sorry but i mean a lot of the times it's it's wickedness that you know happens it comes at no shock that the abortion giant has also crept into its faith-based schools. What is a surprise, however, post Roe versus Wade, there is a growing number of Christian school administrations, health centers, and professors willing to compromise biblical values by supporting or advertising for the abortion industry. In fact, according to these new findings, the number of Christian schools supporting Planned Parenthood or the abortion industry directly has increased by 10% since 2021 and again this is what we expect evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse deceiving and being deceived second timothy 313 okay so that's where where we're at okay and then all the other stuff we got into in this teaching is all further evidence of as in the days of Noah, as in the days of lot you know wickedness increasing we concluded our research uh, in 2021 with only 69 remaining infracted schools those found in some sort of pro-abortion relationship, but found as many as 76 infracted schools by 2023. Now, this is from lifelifenews.com. They're they're totally Catholic. Okay, they promote Catholicism and the priests and the Pope and all this other garbage. So they themselves are totally deluded. Okay, and a lot of the schools that made their approved list are Catholic ones or really really lukewarm, whatever Lutheran and uh, you know where you'll never even hear. You, there's no way you could go there and, and, and come away teaching the gospel. You wouldn't have heard it presented to you. It's mostly all works-based, this type of stuff. Telling you to yoke up with the government with your 501c3 tax exemption and, you know, all the other garbage. Teaching you, oh, the the, the uh, godly, line of, godly, godly line of Seth interbreeding with the wicked daughters of Cain, and that's what Genesis 6 was talking about. Just so much garbage. Anyway, um, 
This means that rather celebrating the end of Roe's tyranny, some Christian schools actually broke their silence on the issue in favor of abortion. Take Holy Cross College, a Jesuit, which is the worst of the worst of the worst of Catholicism, okay? A Jesuit college in Massachusetts, for instance, should say Heli Cross. Um, for instance, it was awarded an A-plus grade in 2021 by, what, LifeSite, Life News, or whoever is rating this, who was also a Christian, that just shows you how deluded they are. You couldn't go to, to Holy Cross and get saved. They're going to teach you how to be a good Catholic and teach you how to get into heaven through works. And you're not even going to get there through that. You're going to have to go through purgatory and you're going to have to have indulgences or they're going to have to pray you out of you know, purgatory or whatever. Such total garbage. I mean, anyway. Um, however, following the reversal of Roe, their women and gender studies department used the school's website to condemn the decision meaning overturning roe versus way demonstrating their commitment to abortion over biblical values and this was a holy cross college jesuit catholic college which to them they had an a plus rating are you kidding me should have been an f minus from the beginning so understand that their interpretation of what a biblical school and what the god would say is totally 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 different okay because the seminaries are the main place most pastors go to get ruined most men go to get ruined or and now they've got women pastors where their faith has made shipwreck right off the bat and they're taught all this liberal garbage and yoking up with the world and all this other garbage glad i never went to any of it all right, and then the last thing is a video, and I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to go ahead. I have enough time. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to. Do not accept every gift people give you. Some gifts are cursed. So we talked about this earlier, and I'm glad I'm getting this this in now because it, it goes along with, like, that guy that, that went from Afghanistan to America and that, that jinn, that devil followed him. Well, he probably had, he probably took something from there that, you know, uh, gave that thing a right in order to follow him back now i could be wrong but there's something that ha had to happen regarding that so let's go ahead and listen to this a man went on a trip with a group of friends and during the course of that trip they met a local man who gave each of them souvenirs now this particular guy took these souvenirs without knowing that those items were part of ceremonial practice that was evil and occultic in nature when he got back from his travels, he placed these ornaments in his home. That very night, things started to change and things started to happen. He had opened a spiritual door wide open for the devil to walk straight into his home. He started to experience unusual things. There was unrest in his heart. He felt weighed down, oppressed even, like there was a massive weight on his shoulders. The sleepless nights and nightmares started. He became a man filled with fear. He became fearful of everything and anything. He started to experience all sorts of things that were not from the Lord simply because of a lack of knowledge and a lack of vigilance, a combination that left him spiritually open. So he confided in his father who brought the pastor around to his home. During the conversation with this pastor and his father, the ornaments caught the pastor's eye. Where did those come from? He explained they were a gift from a local while he was on his travels. Did you ask what those items were? He again, you have to be super careful if you're in any other country. 
I mean, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen here in America or wherever you're at, but I'm, oh man, I've heard so many stories about bringing stuff home and I've, I've got into a lot of them in previous teachings and this type of stuff happening. Do you know anything about the man who gave you these? He shook his head again. The pastor now took the items and said, we need to burn these things. This is the cause for all the unrest you have been experiencing. Now, sometimes, I mean, yeah, depends what it's made of. I mean, granted, it, you can always try to burn it. I mean, if it's something metal, obviously it's not going to melt. Um, but it's good to, like, break it and then burn it and then get rid of it. Get it off your property. That's, I think, the ideal trifecta of things to do. At bare minimum, get it out of your thing and repent and renounce anything that might be attached to you if you can break it and get it off that's good too okay but i burning is is yes typically the best thing to do in addition to those other things i just mentioned and i don't bury it on your property okay um i well i'll, I'll tell that story a little bit later you my son have been under spiritual attack so they started a fire and threw the items in. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, and these items were not burning. They added a bit more fuel and gave it another 10 minutes. Nothing, no sign of those things burning. So both the pastor and father began to pray and praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> they started to call on the name of Jesus. Amen. They started to speak the blood. They started to speak the word of God. And those things began to melt and burn the lesson here is that you should be careful. Now, i don't know what they were made of i mean i guess he couldn't he could make metal melt if it if it was that um i just don't want you to think that you've got to i mean for some people it may not be optional you might be in an apartment or something and you don't have access to any place where you can really burn this stuff um other than maybe going to like i don't know i don't know some like wilderness area or something and maybe like an old campsite or something like that i mean i i think the most important part is if you can break it get it off your property and and try to burn it if if at all possible especially if it's really if it's really wreaked havoc on your life okay um i told the story before about and i really don't want it because it's kind of a long story but the story about w when i came up here beforehand before I actually moved up here and I went to see Colonel SC Greg Rinchich um, he was the one that worked at Area 51 and did all the videos on that and, and he's still still putting out stuff every once in a while you'll see him and I stayed with him for five days in uh, Bostick North Carolina which is probably about an hour and a half I drove there one time from here and um, from where I'm at now, it's more more into the mountains, and suffice it to say, we were at the post office one day during that visit. He had to send something, and it was really you know, it was so chaotic that whole trip, it was so crazy stuff God did. But we get to this post office, and Greg Colonel Colonel Greg comes out, and he's got this guy with him. He's like, "This is Bobby. I just met him." And he really had, he really had just met this guy. He says, he, he needs to talk to you. And so I'm like, what's up? 
And he evidently had been doing black ops in Haiti, with special forces. And um, he, uh, he brought back some stuff with him from Haiti. He brought back a, like a stick, like a cane, but it was very ornate, like a voodoo type cane. And he brought back a vase for their wife with his wife. And I found out later that their marriage had broken up. He had never been the same since. All these nightmares. He had missing time when he was in Haiti. I mean, we're talking. Who knows what happened? Now, this is a bad dude. This is a guy that does black ops, you know, and he was not doing well. Very humble <laughs> for the whole thing. He wasn't acting like Mr. You know, whatever. And he was deathly afraid of this voodoo stick that he had brought back. And I said, um, I said, well, why don't you come out to the colonels tonight and we'll talk some more and uh, we'll go from there. So he, he shows up and he's in full military dress, like full military. And I'm like, that's kind of unusual. I mean, he was all of his stuff you know like a little formal for you know just we're just kind of sit around and you know go over some stuff and we started talking and um he confided in me about the voodoo stick and about the vase and all this other stuff and i said well where's the voodoo stick because we hadn't talked about that up until this point he says it's back at my house i've got a bronco on the side of my my house and it's in there it's um it's uh underneath all this garbage. <laughs> he says, I just want it out of the house. He had he, he knew he needed to get get that thing out of the house. And I said, let's go get it. He said, Well, what do you mean? I'm like, Well, we're gonna go get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of it for you. I, I got you. Don't worry about it. And so we drive back to his house. I don't even know this guy. <laughs> I'm literally don't even know the colonel. I'd flown up there. I heard his I heard his interview on on the internet. It exploded. Greg Greg Rinchich or Colonel SC is, is how he would go. All on on his time at Area 51, S4, being a guard there, all the reptilians, the giants that he saw, the whole nine yards, man. I'm like, I'm there. And he said these things had shown up on his property. Not the giants, but a lot of UFO activity, a lot of stuff. And I said, I'm coming up there, Colonel. And I want to engage these things. Okay. I want I want to do this for you as well. I want I want I don't want you to be dogged with these things. I don't want these things bothering you. Okay. And so I I, I flew up there. I don't even know this guy. I sent him my, my Avion flu, um the the one from the Prophecy Club. I have I still have it on DVD. You can still buy it online on DVD. Um can't you can't find it on the <laughs> on 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 uh YouTube, they want to, they, uh, I, Stan asked me back to do a lot more tours. And I think I, after what I found out about the Prophecy Club, I'm like, no, 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 no. I will never do another tour with them ever. And, um, uh, I think that irked them. And the only way you can get that DVD now is if you order it. Anyway, um, so we go, we get to his house. He points to his, um, this Bronco that's on the side of his house. And it's it's in the middle of the night at this point. Um, well, I don't know. It's probably, 
I think it was around, this was probably around November, probably early November, if I remember right. I, I flew up there, flew into the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Colonel had picked me up, drove me back to his house in Bostick. And then um, then we, we we drove to this, again, where we, where we met, um, his name was Bobby. As far as I know, he's still on my email list. Um, we met him at this post office. He gave him directions to go to the Colonel's house. We talked there. So now we're driving back to his house, Bobby. And I don't, I don't even know where that's at. Okay, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. This is good. We get there. I see the Bronco. He's like, it's in there. It's in the back. And I'm like, okay. And so he opens the back of it. It's all these like, um, it's just like trash, but a lot of like cans, like aluminum cans and stuff and just trash. <laughs> Literally I get back there and I'm climbing into this back of this Bronco and there's trash everywhere. And I'm like feeling under the trash for like this voodoo stick. And I finally found it. I got it out. And he says, he says, that's it. He says, he says that, that, I mean, he was freaking out me just picking it up. He, he was really freaked out. And the first thing I did is I cracked it over my knee and I don't know if God gave me just supernatural strength because it was pretty substantial. I just cracked it right over my knee, broke it right in half. He was like, I can't believe it. And, and so I had it in my hands and I'm like, let's get back in the thing. We'll take it back to the colonels and burn it. He's got a, uh, he's got a, uh, I don't know if you call it a potbelly stove or he was, he was a welder. He probably still does it if he's there. He, he did very, very good welding work. And he would work way into the night, the colonel would. And because um, he wasn't really doing active military anymore. And so we get there and he's got this, this, um, he was just freaked out that I was holding this thing. I said, I said, God's greater than this, man. I said, hey, don't worry about it. We broke, we broke the, break the curses off it. It's not going to affect you. Your life's going to improve guaranteed. And so, um, we get there and the Colonel had this big substantial, um, Oh, stove, but it wasn't like a stove you cook things on. It was a stove to heat this this metal metal building where he did all this welding work at night. And it was November up in the mountains of North Carolina, Western North Carolina, kind of where I'm at now. And, you know, it's starting to get cold. And he's probably at a much higher elevation than I'm at. I'm only at about a thousand feet. He was probably a good another thousand feet at least, okay, if not more. So um, I throw it in there. And just like they were talking about here, that thing wasn't burning. I mean, not like it should. It was wood. Okay. And I don't really remember praying a lot. We had already prayed, but it finally did burn. But it was it was remarkable how long a wooden, this wooden voodoo stick took to actually burn and consume. And um, so... We talked it all out. He, you know, he, he just wanted somebody to listen to him. He, you know, you can't go. I mean, you you, you go in, into the military. You go into special ops. You come out with PTSD. This is a this is like P, PTSD on steroids. He's got missing time. They encountered probably people that were into voodoo. He doesn't know what happened to him. His life's been ruined ever since he returned. He gave his wife this vase. Their marriage is gone. They split apart. And I said, what you have to do is go to your wife and say, that vase I gave you, 
I need to get it back. I, I think it's very bad. And I will give you something. What do you want me to give you in replace of it? If you if you like that vase, I will give you something to replace it. Um, and I said, that's what you need to do. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he did do. He got the vase and I'm pretty sure he got that smashed and burned. And his life did improve quite a bit. But after it was all said and done, the colonel came up to me afterward and he said, we were on his front porch, and he said, do you know what you just did? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, well, if, if I did anything good, it's of the Lord. And he said, you know why he was dressed up that way? He was in his full military dress. I, I, I can't remember what branch of the service he was in. Um, he said, that's what guys do when they're going to commit suicide in the military. A lot of times they'll get in full military dress and they'll take out their service revolver and one shot to their head. He said he was going to do that tonight. That's why he came up. He says, this was my last rope. This was my last lifeline. So I have nothing but love and respect for these poor guys that come back used up by the military industrial complex. And I mean, it could be in Canadian arms, sir, wherever. They come back damaged goods. They don't get any remedies. They Even if the VA could have never given him a, him a remedy for that, for what he was going through. Those things had to be destroyed. He needed to have a little bit of counseling. And I don't know. I just listened to him. I just had compassion on him. I mean, God bless him. Poor thing. You know. And he um, he says, um, you saved his life. And I'm like, I, you know, the Lord, the Lord put me here for that reason. I mean, there was a lot of reasons. I saw the Lord work in a lot of miraculous ways in that five, I believe it was five days I was up there. Uh, it was, it was really one of the most intense, insane five days I have ever had in my life. Okay. I mean, other stuff happened that was even more insane than that. Now, that was good. That was a really super awesome, the best thing that happened when I was up there. But I ended up counseling like him and his wife and his friend. I'm, I'm not like a pastor or anything. I'm not a doctor, but I'm not that kind. I don't have any. But a lot of times it's just giving them biblical advice, just showing mercy and just being a friend and just having compassion. It's not about, oh, my degree or this or that. It's just about caring. Um, and as Jesus would want us to do for one another and showing love for the brethren. And, um, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget. And that was probably about, probably about three years before I moved up here. It was like a precursor to me moving up here, um, to, you know, not that far away. Um, so anyway, I've done whole teachings where I talked about Colonel Colonel Greg Greg Rinchinch or Colonel SC. If you key that in the keyword search box, um, he broke the internet of just about with that initial video he did on this stuff, on the stuff he's seen. And I'll tell you what, he his stories never varied. I was with him, and the the mark of a liar a lot of times is going to be somebody that cannot keep their story straight. His stories are always the same. They were always the same. Um, I, I, I have nothing but love for him and his wife. Um, 
his kitties liked me too. They were they were very very nice kitties he had in his house. Um, I think his dogs did too. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's stuff that that oh man, that was such a crazy crazy little time there. Um, but I thank God if I went up there for nothing more than to counsel Bobby, and end up act as an intermediary man that was all worth it it was all worth it for that so I know I didn't want to get long winded but I said all that because when they talked about the burning and it wasn't burning I, I kind of I've seen that I, I, it's about the only time I've really seen that and I think the more cursed the object maybe the, the more resistant it may be to the fire alright so let's go ahead and go further regarding any items or things you accept as gifts now, there's an interesting biblical story that teaches us about the potential spiritual consequences of taking in objects and things. Yeah. In Joshua chapter 7, the story of a man named Achan. Here's how it unfolded. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or three thousand. Now, if you've never heard my teaching on imprecatory prayers a christian's door of hope which was inspired by pastor weaver um i believe that his is entitled um you, you can key that in just key in psalm 64 and i believe i give the link to his as well and i believe he has the valley of achan as a door of hope and achan is the guy they're talking about here and when achan's sin was judged that was a door of hope for the rest of israel because unless Achan's sin had been judged, which is this story about AI, and that's not automated intelligence or whatever. It's the town of AI, which was in the promised land when they went to possess. Okay, so that's in, the, I believe, the book of Hosea where it talks about that. The, the Valley of Achor for a door of hope. And the, the, the Valley of Achor was where Achan was judged. It's all related. So it's related to this subject. So if you've never heard my study on psalm 64 a christian's door of hope um that is where I, I talk about that in there and that is one of the most life-changing biblical concepts that i ever got a hold of after i got saved okay um so you may want to avail yourself to that and just so you know and to attack i since there are so few of them don't make all our people struggle to go up there so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. So in other words, if God doesn't go with you into the fight, you're going to lose. Okay, if, if you're not, if God's not with you, see, that's why I have such confidence to go, and, and like I say, well, I want to go, I want to get right in the middle of this stuff like that if there was an incident in the Miami Mall I, I want to be right there I want to be right in the middle because I know God's greater and I know a lot of times all he needs is a willing vessel you know that that's all that's all he needs he, David is a, is a great example of that you know he shouldn't be on paper he shouldn't be Goliath he shouldn't have had a chance he should have had a prayer <laughs> yet and he doesn't even have any armor on you know and he's probably like one-tenth the size, if that, of Goliath. And Goliath's fully armored, the whole nine yards, their greatest champion. And, you know, 
David beats him with a, a sling and one stone, essentially. And I picked up five stones. He only used one, but he, remember, Goliath had four other brothers. That was symbolic of his four other brothers that were, would be defeated. Not by actually David, but by his David's mighty men. Before it was all said and done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, I don't think they could have beat them unless God wasn't with them. So we can beat these giants, you know, whether they're spiritual or whether they're literal. And again, I think you need to be called to the other, really, really called to, to engage these, these evil, wicked creatures. But I have no, no doubt in my mind, none at all, that God um, is going to do that. He, he will. Their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let the Amorites kill us? Joshua knew that something had gone badly wrong. They had just brought down the walls of Jericho, and besides that, yeah. God had promised to be with them wherever they went. But somehow, they had seemingly lost their way. At this point in the story, only God knows the true explanation. Now, after Joshua prayed, here's what God answered, saying, Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself... From Jericho is where God said, don't, don't take anything from there. In other words, it's like everything in Jericho was cursed, it sounds like. And it, again, it would be similar to these people that go to these, like these, some of these towns, like ghost towns and stuff that were, you know, horrible, rep, you know, and or places in Hawaii, and they bring back sand, and it's like their whole life goes to garbage, you know? It's like their life becomes cursed. So it's a very similar dynamic, and I think it's super important for us to just be aware of that. ...been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire, along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. Now, when morning came, it was revealed that Achan had stolen a beautiful robe and 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. Achan was one of the soldiers from the tribe of Judah who took part in the Battle of Jericho. Yeah. Achan took a few things for himself, even though Joshua had commanded everyone to stay away from anything belonging to Jericho. Right. Now, there were some battles where, where God didn't give these kind of stipulations where you could take certain things. 
you know, spoils of war type type deal. But Jericho evidently was so <laughs> beyond. I, I I'm assuming I could be wrong, but I'm assuming Jericho was just so beyond cursed that you weren't to do anything, take anything from there. And again, I, I could be wrong about that, but the, the the bottom line is, is God told him not to do it, and that there would be severe consequences if they did, and and it ended up permeating and affecting all of Israel up until the time that uh, it was dealt with, Achan was dealt with. All of it was accursed. Yeah. Achan's greed led to Israel's defeat at Ai. The story of Achan then ends tragically because Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan. Now, he's pronouncing it I. Okay, that's fine. It, but it's, it's the way it's written is A-I. Okay. The silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had and they brought them to the valley of Acre and stoned them. The Bible tells us that they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. Right. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. Right. The Valley of Achor as well. The Lord was no longer angry. From this story, we must be aware that Achan took items that were cursed, and this resulted in devastating consequences. God's judgment fell on the nation because of Achan's sin. Verses 2 to 5 describe the battle and Israel's defeat. Nearly 36 Israelite soldiers lost their lives needlessly in what should have been an easy battle, but became a bitter defeat. The Bible says, My people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Do not be in the category of people who perish because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge that if you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. A lack of knowledge that the devil will dress himself up as something harmless. There couldn't possibly be anything wrong with a souvenir. Right. There's nothing wrong with me accepting a gift from someone while I'm traveling the world. Yep. Be vigilant, man of God. Be vigilant, woman of God. Do you know where that object, that souvenir, has really come from? Do you know what spirit, what atmosphere, or what you're inviting into your home when you're watching that film? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 9 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In this passage, God instructs the children of Israel to keep the word of God in a prominent role in the household. Now, the home plays an integral part in the life of the believer. As Christians, our homes should be, they need to be, homes where the name of God, the presence of God, is always resident. The home should be a sanctuary, a holy place. It should be a place of peace, serenity, and joy. It should be a place where God's word is elevated and lived out. Now, that's all good and well for me to say, but in a practical sense, if the home is indeed a sanctuary, if our home is a place where God's presence should abide, then we should just not allow certain activities, practices, and forms of entertainment in the home. I submit to you that we should be more vigilant about the things we allow in our homes. We need to be aware that just as we close and lock the physical doors in our homes, we need to do the same spiritually. Right. Amen. It goes on for oh, another eight 
or so minutes here. That that's the more pertinent part that I wanted us to to be able to get into. Um, yeah, and they named it. They it says after they stoned him, they raised a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from his fierce the fierceness of his anger. Um, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, like Achin, who was the guy that got stoned. Him and his um, uh, I mean, man, they they stoned everybody. Took Achan, the son of Zarah, in the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought him into the Valley of Achor and they they stoned him. Um, the Old Testament judgment, God God really wasn't. It, it was it was different than the age of grace that we're under now. You know, um, obviously Jesus hadn't come and we didn't have Jesus's blood to pay our sin debt. We didn't have his death, burial, and resurrection. We didn't have the finished work of the cross. Uh, it was a lot more uh, brutal as far as judgment like that back back then. I'm not saying God can't do it now, but it was it was a different time, you know, from a biblical sense. And there, there's a different reason that you got the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? We didn't, obviously, there's a lot of things that was given to the, like Levitical priesthood in the way that they, the ceremonial things they did that, you know, obviously don't, aren't as applicable today, obviously. Anyway, um, so then we go to Hosea 2.15, and this is what we talk about in that teaching I did um, on Psalm 64. And what Pastor Weaver talks about. And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And you would think, well, how could something that took so horrific took place in the valley of Achor as a door of hope? Well, that was the door of hope. Because of what they did with Achor when they, when they dealt with the sin that was in the camp that had permeated in everything. That gave all of Israel, that was their door to actually go in and possess the promised land. Once they dealt with the sin of Achan. And unfortunately, his whole family had to pay for all of his possessions and everything. Um, but that was their door of hope. That was the, for, you know, they went in to possess the promised land at that point. Now, they messed up <laughs> later, you know, but... That was a key pivotal event. If they had not dealt with that, they would have not went in and possessed the promised land. It was that big of a deal. And that was just because Achan brought some cursed items back from Jericho. So that's all I have for today. God bless you. And um, I'm probably going to do a newsletter next week unless we have, you know, like, you know, another alien incursion or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You never know week to week. But I'm really due for a newsletter to get one out. So... Um, Lord willing, we will see you in the next audio and God bless you. Scott Johnson's 1000 plus audio teachings and PDF documents are available for free 24 seven on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C O N T E N D I N G. F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. In addition, we also offer a free Christian current event and health email newsletter. You can sign up at contendingfortruth.com. 
These email newsletters typically only generate about three to six emails per month if you subscribe to both lists. Please prayerfully help us to continue this work. For mail correspondence or to support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2359 Highway 70 Southeast, number 321, Hickory, NC, 28602. Or on the internet, a PayPal donation link can be found at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.